Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more. And now, arguably, the biggest visionary of them all, Elon Musk. Last week, superstar entrepreneur Elon Musk was interviewed on stage at a TED conference in Vancouver. He talked about his electric car company Tesla and his space company SpaceX. And he talked about Twitter, the social media platform that Elon Musk has just announced he wants to buy. So, Elon, um, a few hours ago, you made an offer to buy Twitter. (laughs) Why? Well, I think it's very important that it be an inclusive arena for free speech, uh, where all... So, uh, yeah. Musk's bid to buy Twitter still hangs in the balance. But if it succeeds, it will be just the latest in a long list of headline-grabbing controversies that have surrounded him and his company. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Conor Pope. Today, what's happening at Twitter and does it really matter who owns it? Laura Slattery, you write a media column each week in the Irish Times and recently you wrote about Elon Musk's ambition to take over Twitter. In that column, you highlighted what you described as the three eras of Twitter. Having three eras in less than 20 years is pretty impressive. What was the first of those eras? Yeah, so Twitter, as you say, it's 18 years old and it's gone through a lot of change since 2006. And I would call the first era the fail whale era. Um, the fail whale was a kind of a very cheery beluga whale that used to appear whenever Twitter went over capacity and it was kind of being lifted up by this flock of orange birds. And it was a very, you know, up, upbeat kind of oops message that nevertheless was quite frustrating uh, for users at the time. And the reason it regularly appeared was because Twitter was growing at a very fast rate. And users were signing up to this new exciting thing. I think it was a social media that people got excited by in the way that perhaps they hadn't by Facebook. There was a kind of a demographic there um, that felt Twitter was very appealing. And as the company said itself, it was the place, you know, where the conversations were happening and people met Twitter friends. And they also had some Twitter spats. Um, But it was a kind of a clubby feel, I would say, in those early days before, you know, everybody started joining it. 
Yeah, because I, I even remember in the early days there was tweet ups and people were genuinely making friends with other people in, in this social media platform or on this social media platform. But then over the years, things started to change. And after the friendly blue whale came the big orange president. What impact did Donald Trump have on the platform over the last 10 years, not just when he was president? Yeah, so yeah, I kind of identified the Trump era as being from 2013 onwards, which is when uh, the fail whales sort of disappeared. Um, Twitter went public; it, it sold its shares on the stock exchange, and, and around that time, um, you know, Donald Trump he wasn't president yet, and he hadn't officially declared his intention, but he was tweeting quite a lot about Barack Obama, and one of the things he was tweeting was this birther conspiracy about Barack Obama. Why doesn't he show his birth certificate? And you know what? I wish he would, because I think it's a terrible pal that's hanging over him. He so he was using Twitter as a platform to spread misinformation and to say things that would appeal to his uh, future voter base. And then when uh, Donald Trump came into power, you know, almost immediately he would establish this daily routine of sending out a flurry of uh, tweets in the early mornings. And some of those tweets, you know, contained very large uh, policy announcements. Some of them were incredibly, you know, serious, couldn't, you know, couldn't even get more serious than sort of, you know, tweeting about Kim Jong-un and saying, I too have a nuclear button, but but it's bigger and, and more powerful than the, one, than the one he has. Here's that tweet from the president that came late yesterday on North Korea, the president issuing this over Twitter saying North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I, too, have a nuclear button, but it is much bigger and more powerful one than his, and my button works. That tweet from the I mean, that's sort of almost like taking the world to the, 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 the brink of, of nuclear war, all in the sort of casual, flippant, uh, exclamation marked uh, format of a tweet. So it became, you know, very incumbent upon political journalists to be closely monitoring uh, Donald Trump's uh, Twitter. And this was, in a way, this was good for the platform because it was very influential very powerful. But there were a lot of questions about whether or not Twitter was in fact too close to Donald Trump and and benefiting too much from uh, the fact that he used the platform so much. And those questions never really did go away. And it wasn't actually until after uh, Donald Trump lost power that they, uh, you know, finally (laughs) banned him. They had, they had, you know, marked a couple of warnings on on some of his tweets before that saying this may not be true effectively. But it was only after the uh, January riots at Capitol Hill that Twitter finally moved to permanently ban Donald Trump, saying it made the decision due to the risk of further incitement of violence. You will never again see a tweet from President Trump. A short time ago, the company suspended him forever. Here's what his account looks like right now. 88 million people following nothing. Everything he's ever tweeted or retweeted removed. The company issued a statement. You know, he was also no longer benefiting, I suppose, from his their, Twitter's uh, world leaders policy that they'd put in place where they had kind of said, well, world leaders, we need to know what they're kind of saying anyway. You know, we need to sort of mm. have treat them a little bit differently. And then, of course, we have the third era, uh, which you identify as the Elon Musk era. What's his presence on Twitter like? Does he use it frequently? And does he does he use it effectively? 
Elon Musk has, in a way, become the embodiment of Twitter today. He uses it in a very chaotic fashion. There are these huge tonal shifts. He does flippant polls. He has brief moments of seriousness. And then there are outright controversies. He often deletes his tweets. There's days when he tweets emojis that get written up as news articles. And there are days when he's clearly trolling people. For example, when he finds the time to declare Netflix is unwatchable because of, quote, a woke mind virus. So he's a good follow if you want to get annoyed and if you like chaos. He has about 82 million followers and many of them are his fans. There are people who admire his track record as an entrepreneur. He is, of course, the founder of the electric vehicle maker Tesla. And he's also the founder of SpaceX, which last I checked was launching about a quarter of the satellites that are going up into space these days. The fact that the richest man in the world is even on Twitter and tweeting the way he does is news. Not least, but when he became embroiled in a financial scandal and when he tweeted about taking Tesla private and ended up settling a securities fraud case taken by the SEC, which is the US stock market watchdog as a result. He's not the kind of guy who's easily muzzled, though, and he's definitely been quite prolific on Twitter of late, especially since he's stepped up his designs on the company itself. And we'll get to those designs that Elon Musk has on Twitter later. But you mentioned Donald Trump and the influence he wielded on the platform. He sacked people via tweets. He set public policy via tweets. He threatened other world leaders all on Twitter. Does Twitter still have that kind of influence? And does it have that capacity for making news headlines anymore? I think a certain maturity has crept in where people have worked out that it is perhaps not the best place to to make huge announcements and and to be quite so, I suppose, chaotic, if you want to put it that way. There is a maybe a feeling that the honeymoon is over. And even some of the, um, I think, very well-observed uh, musings of Elon Musk kind of bring that out. You know, he was recently quote-tweeting a list of the 10 most followed uh, Twitter accounts um, when Barack Obama is number one, um, Elon Musk himself is number eight, and he's sort of in there between uh, Lady Gaga and, and the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. But as Musk was saying, you know, Justin Bieber, I think he's in number two. Like he hasn't, he's only tweeted once this year. Taylor Swift, who's up there in the top ten, she disappears for months and then comes back when she has something to promote. Promote usually, like it, there isn't a feeling of being maybe committed to this platform the way many of these top A-list names were even five years ago. Um, mm. There are rival platforms. It's very important now if, if you're a huge, massive, say, global sporting star to be on Instagram, uh, which is obviously owned by Facebook, and also to be on TikTok, uh, which is owned by uh, China's uh, ByteDance. So there's there's rivals out there that are proving a lot more resonant and relevant for a great number of these sort of super users. And Twitter has always said that influential users, you know, from world leaders to celebrities, athletes, journalists, and other kind of brands, they are dependent on them. They've, they know that was one of their sort of the warnings that might mitigate against their, their performance that they put out there when they first um, listed on the uh, stock exchange uh, nine years ago now. So I think we maybe are beginning to see signs of that happening. And, and it is bad news for Twitter because it knows that engagement overall and usage overall is kind of dependent on this quite small core group of active users. 
I know this might be a lame question in the tech world today, but how does Twitter make money? Or maybe a better question would be, does Twitter actually make any money? It, Twitter brings in revenue, but it didn't make a profit last year. There's, this is quite more complex, perhaps, than that sounds even. Yeah, it ha- has a market capitalization of, of 35 billion. And that, you know, compares to Facebook's market capitalization of 590 billion. So we can see there that it is quite a small company, really, compared to these other social media giants with which it's competing. Now, Twitter, most of its money the majority comes from advertising revenues. It, it brought in 4.5 billion last year from advertising. That was out of total revenue of 5 billion. So it has bits and pieces of other uh, revenue, including um, a subscription charge that some people pay for a premium service called uh, Twitter Blue. He says, say this is designed for the people who use Twitter most. Features include the ability to undo a tweet after you've sent it, a reader mode to make it easier to follow long threads on Twitter. But most of its money comes from advertising. So having as many users as possible who see those ads is really where, you know, it's at for Twitter. Its entire business model is dependent upon that. Um, so if it was to sort of go into reverse in, in, into what it calls its monetizable daily active users, if that number was to fall, then that would be a bad news for its overall um, advertising revenue. Um, so it has 217 million of those at the moment. Um, but the reason it made a loss last year is actually quite interesting. It was because it had a litigation settlement to make. There had been a class action lawsuit taken against the company on behalf of a number of investors who had been concerned that many years ago they they alleged that Twitter had been tracking that that number of daily users without really you know sharing that information with investors, and that became the subject of this lawsuit. And the the, the upshot of that was you know a massive you know eight hundred million settlement and maybe a sort of a sense of bad feeling uh, amongst investors that this was not. Uh, a social media company that has uh, shared in the sort of stellar growth that they have enjoyed at many, many other tech companies. Another thing about Twitter in recent times has been the amount of chatter about what Twitter can do better. And a huge amount of the focus at the moment seems to be on the addition of an edit button. Why is the addition of an edit button so significant? It seems like a really basic feature, no? Yeah, I'm not sure why so many people want one, to be quite honest with you, other than the idea that, you know, you make a typo on a tweet and loads of people retweet um, that typo. You can't, you know, you can't delete, you don't want to delete that tweet because you've got loads of retweets and likes and it looks like it's a really great tweet apart from that one typo. <laughs> so as a, as a journalist who's, yeah, quite... Uh, pernickety about these things you know that is a kind of a nightmare I might have (laughs) I would probably just delete but you know so there's a kind of a sort of a vanity to it of not having the perfect perfect tweet because there's an apostrophe in the wrong place or you said or Mm. instead of of or now one of the reasons why I mentioned the edit button is that it seems like a fairly minor problem when you consider all the Twitter pylons and the harassment of women and the harassment of minority groups and all the hate that we see every single day on Twitter. Is Twitter doing anything to stop those things? Because they seem a little bit more severe and a little bit more serious than an edit button. 
Well, Twitter has has moderation policies in place, but like any social media platform, it has struggled, I think, to really enact them in an even way and in a way that people find to be fair and just. And there is a question of sheer volume here. The sheer volume of, of abuse that some accounts receive is, is very difficult, I think, probably for any tech company to, to moderate. And then that throws up the question, well, maybe they shouldn't be operating the way they are. Maybe the platform shouldn't exist the way that it does, because if they can't solve the problem of abuse and harassment, if they can't limit it and control it to a degree that people find acceptable, then, uh, you know, are, have they any business in, in running the company the way that they do? It's, it's definitely an unanswered question. Mm. And there are many different anomalies in how the uh, moderation and policing of the platform works. And I don't think those questions are going to be answered overnight. Coming up, why does Elon Musk want to buy Twitter? And what could that mean for the platform? Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. Hey! Get out of here! I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base. A big part of why we're talking about Twitter today is because Elon Musk appears to be determined to buy the company in a plot twist to rival anything we've seen on Succession. It emerged in recent weeks that Musk had a relatively quietly acquired a 9% stake at the company and then he was offered a seat on its board and it looked like he was going to take it, but then he didn't. Why not? Yeah, there was last minute drama where at the weekend he was supposed to join the board, as you say, but then the chief executive of Twitter, Parag Agrawal, announced that actually Elon had changed his mind. And he also added that this was maybe for the best. And although there would be distractions ahead, um, they still valued uh, Elon Musk's input. So it was one of those classic corporate um, statements where where politeness is really the order of the day and you'd have to look at it twice before you realise that these are major, major headaches for Twitter. Because the reason Elon Musk stayed off the board is because it looks like he is, wants to bid for the entire company. So as you say, he owns 9% at the moment. And at the moment, we understand he is um, talking to his investment bankers at Morgan Stanley, who are in turn talking to other potential investors and other banks about raising the finance necessary um, to complete what would be a 43 billion bid for Twitter. So it actually it values Twitter um, higher than what its current shares value the company at. So there's a there is an attractive offer there on the table mm. if Elon Musk can get other investors on board. Um, it's not a done deal, but yeah. nothing wouldn't put anything past him right now. So why would Elon Musk want to buy the platform. I mean, why would he want to put up $15 billion of his own money plus a further $30 billion that he's borrowed elsewhere? Like, what's in it for him? 
I think there are a few reasons for this. What Elon Musk himself says is that he believes the Twitter algorithm should be open source, by which he means he thinks the set of rules that govern how often particular tweets are seen in people's timelines should be public. He calls himself a free speech absolutist and says there should be more transparency about how Twitter chooses to amplify or de-emphasize certain content on the platform. Another motive he might have for buying Twitter is that the SEC has been monitoring his tweets quite closely in recent years and requires him to get tweets about Tesla vetted by the Tesla company lawyers. Musk would love to get the SEC off his back and while buying Twitter won't necessarily do that, it does send a message to the SEC that shows he's bigger than they are. But I think a key reason he fancies it is just the simple one. He has a love-hate relationship with Twitter and he wants to buy it to show that he can. In a way, what's the use in being the richest man in the world if you can't do things like this and if you can't rub everyone up the wrong way while you're doing it? I think that's a big part of it. You know, He's a very colourful personality. He has his fan base, yes, but he also has many critics and detractors and for good reason. Even if he's not dangerous per se, he does seem quite the impulsive type. And it hardly seems healthy that any one man would have so much power in the world. But that's what might happen if he does succeed in buying Twitter. You say that he's got a lot of fans out there, but certainly the Twitter board aren't among his fans. And they've put measures in place to stop this takeover. What kind of measures have they put in place? The Twitter board has put in place a thing called a poison pill strategy, uh, whereby anyone who owns more than 15% of the company will end up triggering this poison pill, whereby other shares are, are issued at a discount to other investors. So to, it sort of ends up diluting the power of any one individual to um, take over the company. But I don't think that's going to stop Elon Musk from getting together with other people. It may not actually be much of a defense uh, in the long term, but it's it shows that Twitter is not really <laughs> is not a fan of Elon Musk mm. <laughs> and the kind of distractions that he offers. You know, they don't they don't want this takeover to happen. And there's a lot of people, of course, who stand to lose money out of it. Um, and many others who stand to gain money out of it because, mm. as, he, as I said, the um, Elon Musk's offer for the company is greater than the current value of the shares. So it'll, that may end up pushing it over the line because Wall Street finds it very hard to say no uh, to money. Especially when large chunks of money are involved. Yeah, they love the large kind the best. <laughs> and I suppose finally, um, do you think it's likely that Elon Musk will end up owning Twitter because he is a man who tends to get what he wants. And if he does end up owning Twitter, to quote Morrissey, what difference does it make? Um, I think it could make a really huge difference to Twitter. Even just by going private, it will become a very, very different company. And in a way, it could actually be a better and more pleasurable experience if Twitter, a company that is no longer, you know, trying to satisfy public investors, isn't just chasing that growth. And maybe in quite the same way, it might relax a little about pushing various algorithms and new features on users. On the other hand, Elon Musk has his own pet selection of uh, features that he is obviously keen on, including the aforementioned edit button. And we could see uh, more changes there. We also know that he's an absolutist on free speech. Um, so 
he could, in theory, seek to dismantle what content moderation is there at the moment. And Twitter could become an even more unpleasant place for a lot of people. You know, it could go one of two ways is what I'm trying to say. But I, I think he does have a good chance of owning Twitter. And I think it would be an incredible story and not necessarily a positive one, by which I mean negative. (laughs) Laura Slattery, thank you very much for talking to us. On Thursday, Elon Musk filed paperwork with the Securities and Exchange Commission outlining a $46 billion financing package to fund the takeover bid for Twitter. The package includes $25.5 billion in debt from a group of banks led by Morgan Stanley and $21 billion of equity that the Tesla founder says he would personally provide for the deal. Today's episode was produced by Jennifer Ryan and Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Monday. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.